Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as I tell you on every program, we come your way on Mondays, Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We stream live at richarddugan.com, and we have podcasts at richarddugan.com, as well as SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and a lot of other locations that you folks are reposting our interviews to. Thanks for doing that. I appreciate you extending our reach. We've also extended our reach to YouTube, so now you can watch the programs of Tell Me Your Story with our special guests as we come your way each uh, each time to to bring you information edification inspiration we hope uh helping you to find and those choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true and looking for those new ways of living here uh, as we move forward in time uh, as a man sees it anyway uh and we thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing we'll be giving you our guests website in just a moment as well so that you can uh, continue your uh transformational process uh, to a better life each day. We also hope that you will take time out in the 2020s, the decade of perfect vision, where we are asking you to go within, spend time in a quiet, calm, peaceful place where you can sort of recenter yourself, recharge, re-energize, if you will. Get the guidance that you need and support and encouragement and insight. That's where you're going to get the best information uh, that you will ever get from any other source outside yourself. Uh, you're not going to get anything outside yourself that's as good as the information you'll get from within. So trust your intuition. Uh, spend time uh, doing just that, and we hope that you will do just uh, uh, that. Participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s. Our program today is dealing with something that you can spend time going within to seek out, get that guidance, and that has to do with wisdom. We're going to be talking with uh, Pastor Darius Good. Uh, he's the author of Unlocking Godly Wisdom. It's Solomon's Pillars of Wisdom uh, as the focal point, if you will. Uh, Darius, first of all, thank you so much, uh, Pastor, for joining us here on the program. Thank you so much for having me today. The issue of guidance, as I've talked about many, many times on this program, especially over the last couple of years, uh, having to do with, as I, as you heard me mention, uh, 2020 was the year of perfect vision, but we're expanding that to the 2020s, the decade of perfect vision, to try to encourage people to spend time in what uh, I guess you might call their interior life, which is really uh, going to facilitate a better life on the outside, uh, at least as, as I understand it. Is that a fair assessment from your perspective? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I've been hearing that as well about the, uh, the year 2020, uh, the year of perfect vision, um, the ability to see, uh, and the, necess the necessity of seeing with clarity. Um, and to be honest with you, I believe <laughs> the pandemic that we experienced on this year has caused a lot of things to slow down. Uh, some things in many cases have come to a stop. Mm -hmm. And I think that's afforded us time to, uh, like you said, look within, kind of reevaluate, um, restructure. I've heard a lot of people saying they're going in different directions in their life um, that they may not have gone in if the year hadn't gone as such. And so it's been an interesting year, um, to say the least. And I think it's going to have a profound effect over the next decade of where many people's lives end up. 
I think that it's going to have a profound impact on many, many lives as we move forward. You're absolutely right. And I don't think it's going to have anything to do with what happens in the outer world, uh, whether you want to talk about uh, uh, any election that may happen or uh, anything that happens in the in our economy or anything of that nature. My perspective, uh, as we do these programs, has more to do with following our intuition, if you will, following that guidance that, as I, I believe, does not put one in harm's way, might challenge us as we move through our lives, but gives us information that will help us uh, not avoid difficulties, mm. but help us to go through them, which I think is extremely important because a lot of people get stuck in them. Can you talk I a little agree. bit about that? <laughs> yes, I think, uh, especially being a pastor, you end up uh, being pulled into the intimate details of so many people's lives. And I think when challenges come, um, I think we too often look at the the size of the battle, so to speak, or the the uh, potential impact of what that challenge may present. Um, and people don't realize that we're faced with challenges on a regular basis. Um, and so I've learned to embrace the challenge and it actually, uh, allows me to learn more about myself. Many things that I probably never thought was possible. Um, I myself have faced many, many challenges in my life that I thought I would never be able to get through. And I've been, uh, astounded to come out on the other side. And so I often, uh, tell people, you know, tomorrow's a brand new day. Um, there's always something to learn and there's things to learn about ourselves, um, if we're willing to embrace the challenge. And sometimes those challenges require me to release things that you're holding on to. Um, some of them are internal things such as pride. Um, it might be our understanding and realizing that how I thought I understood it, I need to re-examine that again and now look at things from a, a brand new, fresh uh, set of eyes. Um, and I've learned to just release things, whether uh, job changes, career losses, careers coming to an end, things of that such. Uh, I just remind people it's not the end of the world. It's mm -hmm. the end of a chapter. It might be the beginning of a brand new chapter for you. And so don't be afraid of the tribulations. Don't be afraid of the challenges that come. Um, they're part of life, but they come to, to make us grow and make us stronger and make us smarter. And uh, here's, here's an interesting one. I found sometimes challenges come to realize that you can't make it on your own. And it's okay to be vulnerable and connected to others and lean on other people. You know, that's interesting that you, you say that, especially uh, with the challenge that faces us today. And so many people are now struggling maybe to put food on the table or just keep the roof over their heads and so forth. And people will come along. And I don't know that it's necessarily this way around the world, but I know in the United States, we, we do have an issue with pride. Um, yes. and, uh, no, I, I can't, I can't accept charity. <laughs> I'm sorry. Our family doesn't accept. No, no, I'm not giving you, I'm trying to help you so right. that, so that you're here with us in five weeks, five months, five years from now, I'm trying to, to support you. Like you would come to my house if I was in trouble and support me. This isn't charity, you know? Right. Uh, I, I personally believe in the universal law of exchange. There's always an exchange. You cannot escape it. 
uh, there cannot be a giver if there's no receiver and vice versa. Exactly. Right. And uh, I try to uh, gently say that to people. I remember my best friend from grade school, high school, and college called me up one day about five or six years ago. Maybe it was longer than that. I'm living here in Santa Barbara, and he's uh, telling me he's living out of his car and this and that and the other, and he's lost this and that and the other. And I said, look, I, I wish I had money to send you. I don't, but here's what I'm going to tell you. You're still living there in Phoenix, which is where I'm originally from, my, my uh, uh, birthplace. And you have a network of people, and you need to go to those people who care about you. And you need to right. say, look, um, is there any way you could put me up for just a few days or something, or at least till I get my feet back under me, you know, get, get myself uh, uh, a job and this and that. And lo and behold, one of his friends who, when he was a, a youth pastor at a, a church there locally, a Nazarene church in, in Phoenix, let him stay in his garage, turned it into his bedroom or a living space, if you will. And the next thing I know, I'm getting a call from him. So, oh, yeah, I'm working at one of the kiosks out here at the airport. And this and I'm the manager and all. And, you know, the list goes on. And, and he was able to do that. That to me says that community is critical. Yes. All the time, but especially in these times. Don't first of all, don't if you can help do you do the, do what you can don't don't help to the detriment of yourself and your family but do what you can uh and also if you need help go to that community and say look i need help this right. is what i need right now you know not i need ten thousand dollars to be able to do this and such no no you start small and you just little by little you work your way forward but does does that mentality if you will or that attitude uh come from any place of this wisdom that we're talking about that you say that in your book unlocking godly wisdom is that coming from there or is that coming more from a human vulnerability that we need to come from i i think of the passage from scripture that where jesus says uh, come to come to me as little children, not childlike, but as right. little ch innocent little right. children who are vulnerable, right. who are the, the the most vulnerable of us, if you will. Yes, the uh, that passage that you just mentioned uh, about Jesus referring to the children, mm -hmm. he went on to say, "Unless you humble yourself." And so there, there you have that key element of humility that's a requirement. Uh, the scripture says that before honor is humility. And so many of us, and especially in, I guess, the United States mentality, uh, we want honor, we want prestige, we want to be recognized, we want the platform. Um, but before the honor has to come humility. And uh, part of that humility is being vulnerable, um, being able to be open or naked, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, so that people can see um, just the true you. Yeah. That's not covered. That's not cloaked. Not the image that we want to portray to to the world. Um, but like you're saying, there, there's so many areas um, that I feel people need help. And we're not willing to say, hey, I need help in mm -hmm. these areas. We always want to show our, our good face forward or put our best foot forward. Um, but those other areas have potential to disrupt our lives moving forward. And so you might have a great uh, a career. But how is your home? 
how are things between husband and wife, between father and children, and things of this nature. And so um, I've learned that, especially in writing this book, that a great portion of wisdom does come from other people. And it requires humility to go to others and say, I, I need help, even when I think I have the answer. And so I mention that often in the book, that even when I think I have the right answer, I'll still go to somebody and say, this is what I'm thinking. Does this make sense to you? Um, and I think that's critical. I think it's important. Um, that sense of community where we can lift up each other and uh, key in on those weak areas of weaknesses where I might be strong and be able to pull you up in those those areas um, that you might need the additional help in. And um, so I think uh, community is critical, especially in this this time, 2020, the things that we've experienced this year of being able to say, listen, we need help and we're willing to help others as well. Um, as you mentioned in the very beginning, before you made that point about the law of exchange, mm-hmm. uh, there has to be receivers. There has to be givers. And I've learned people fall in one or two categories. Yeah. And so I'm always reminding, especially my congregation, uh, you might be a giver, but you have to learn to receive. Yeah. And so many people don't want to receive. They just want to be the giver. And then we have those that just want to be the receiver. Yeah. I'm like, but you got to learn to be givers. And that's where the balance comes in. Yeah. And so even in my life, because I am you know, wired to be a giver. Um, it was a pride issue for me to receive things as people were giving to me. And it's funny because sometimes, oftentimes when I pray, I don't make it public what I'm asking the Lord for. Uh, but people will come to me and give me the answer or give me what I have need of, whether it's financial. And of course, the scripture says, um, it says, give and you shall receive shaken down and that the running over shall men, right. men give to your bosom. So it's going to come from people, right? People, people want this supernatural experience. And I'm like, but it's, it's, it's people that God is going to use to answer, answer the things that you're praying for. Yeah. And so yeah. be willing to be open as people come and whether they're sharing advice or, or giving you something that you have need of, just be willing to receive that so you can advance and move forward in life. I wish there was a way to incorporate that into the current I'm going to use the term, the, the current malaise of division in this country. Mm. And, and you can pick whatever subject you want. All right. Uh, it does, I mean, there are so many of them. It's like we, <laughs> we, we'd spend all day just on one. And I'm not going to dive into any one in particular. But I wish there was a okay. way to try to calm things down and say, look, what yeah. you don't understand is that none of what you're arguing about matters in the grand scheme of things. Right. I know right. that yeah, I know what you want and I know what you're screaming and yelling at the other guy on the other side of the line about. Right. But for the two of you, there's there's uh, and this is something that I I'm I've been saying this for for a number of well, many, many months. A house div- this is in the scriptures too. a house divided against itself, not only will not, cannot stand. Right. And what's troubling to me is when we have people in the limelight who foster and fuel that division that they use to generate chaos so that they can do whatever manipulative things they're doing. And I'm sitting here thinking, but that's not helping. And name calling. I hear this obviously in the media, whether it's radio or television, uh, the talking right. heads and, and what are referred to as the echo chambers. And they call, mm-hmm. make they do name calling of the other group. And then the other group name calls the other. How is that right. helping? <laughs> I, I, it's right. like, OK, we need some wisdom here. We need some something to to um, 
Oh, what is what is the, the there's the 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 analogy in the in the scriptures also about um, uh, loving your enemies and basically what you do is you 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 be kind to your enemies. It's like heaping hot coals upon them. I right. mean, you don't wish them ill will. Don't you know that's not right. what the passage yes. is saying. Right, but exactly. it's like you're you're you know it, it, you have to again we have to humble ourselves. Right. And we have to be childlike and innocent and vulnerable in one respect. And yet at the same time, it's like, and yet people are, they've got the, if I may use a Star Trek analogy, they've got the shields up and all yes. they're doing is firing the weapons, but nobody can get in. Mm-hmm. Nobody can get in. And uh, I'm curious as to uh, if, if, you can share with us a little bit about how, if we're in that state with the shields up, mm-hmm. but we're, we're listening to you here on this program today. All right. I, I hear what you're saying, but you know, I'm still right in my position. And, and I mean, they're just really stalwart in, in their convictions as far as the material world's concerned. What mm-hmm. would you say to someone who is in that position and realizes though is having trouble making, shall we say, the adjustment, the shift, putting, lowering the shields. What, what piece of wisdom from Solomon's pillar or pillars can you share with us in that regard? Um, well, I'll, there's one issue I will touch on, uh, I think is, that's dear to me. Mm-hmm. Um, in the especially in the black community, and I've heard this especially often in the last few months, mm-hmm. as the Black Lives Matters movement has, I guess, gone grown, um, and they've been pointing to Chicago and those particular cities where there's a lot of uh, what they refer to as black on black crime. And uh, I began working with a social service program. I worked with them for about twelve years with one of the worst cities um, in the state. I mean, the state of Connecticut. And Bridgeport is considered one of our most violent states. Uh, I'm sorry, cities within that state. And I ended up um, um, not on purpose. I went there with the purpose of intent of teaching music. We had a music program. And I found myself working with these troubled youth. And many of them were involved with gang life. And that was not a topic or subject that I was uh, really familiar with. And as I found myself working with these kids in the beginning, I had no idea they were involved with that lifestyle. And I went to a gang training, which really opened my eyes to that lifestyle. I go back to work and realize a lot of my children were a part of, of many gangs. That city had about 38 gangs. And, um, and so as I'm growing in my relationship with these children, I began to understand their thinking, their mindset, And I began to realize as you mentioned, when you're on one side of the coin and we have this argument of what it should be or how we think we know how to fix it, you really don't know until you stop and open your ears and open your eyes and actually open your heart and really sit down and, and talk with individuals. And I grew, uh, grew up in a home where I had you know, both parents. My father was a pastor. Um, and so I grew up in a very sheltered, protected environment. Um, my needs were met, things that I had need of. And now I'm meeting kids from a completely different experience and lifestyle than mine. And I looked at their experiences and I was like, I don't know if I would have made it if I grew up like many of these children. I don't know if I would have done the same thing that they've done. 
things that we often would say, how dare you do that? But now I'm realizing many of them didn't have choices. And so uh, it was a fascinating experience as it opened my mind, uh, opened my heart to these children, just uh, compassion um, for these kids. And many of them were very difficult children. Um, they were not easy to reach. They broke a lot of our, our staff members as they were. <laughs> the staff members would come in to work with them. And after about two to three weeks, they would quit. Because they're like, these kids are complicated, they're difficult. And I was like, they really are. But you have to have thick skin and a lot of love for them and a lot of patience. And that that job developed a lot of patience to sit and say, okay, what's going on with you? What's going on at home? And it just began to open my eyes to a whole different life that other people are experiencing. And so that experience has helped me with other areas of life where one person's on one side, one person's on the other. And now I can sit and say, I, I know where I came from, but I need to hear where you're coming from. And so I can stop and, and take all of my personal feelings and my agenda off the table so that I can sit and hear what's going on on the inside. And how did you end up at the place that you're at? How did you end up with these thoughts and why this makes sense to you? And that's been uh, very key, especially now being a pastor, uh, being able to connect with people of different walks, different lifestyles, and being able to just connect with them on a human basis and not on a political issue, not on a social issue, but just being able to connect with them and say, hey, despite our differences, we can love each other. We can be friends. You can call on me when you need me and that sort of thing. And I think, as you're mentioning, um, what, our, what we need right now, and that's, that's what we need. Mm -hmm. We need to take a moment and just stop and stop trying to get our point across, but just listen um, to what, what people's stories and how do they end up where they are and the, the difficulties that they've gone through. Would it be fair to say that this is not a black or white issue because there are individuals, and this is going to your point of listening, mm -hmm. there are areas in uh, throughout this country, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, I, I can only think of one term to describe the white communities, white trash, okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, uh, also get into, uh, gangs, they get into different situations similar to, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, of color, uh, communities, right. whether it be black or Hispanic right. or, or Asian or whatever the case might be. Right. So we're not talking here about race. We're talking about human beings here. We're not trying to make a differentiation and start playing with percentages and numbers. And, well, yeah, but there are more blacks and there are more this and there are more Chicanos and there are more uh, right. uh, Asians. And the, that's not where you are going with this, uh, are you? You're saying no, that because you as a black man were trying to connect with other black children, correct? Correct. And initially, you were having problems doing that because you hadn't, maybe hadn't quite yet started listening to them, right? right. Okay. Right. So it wouldn't have made any difference if they had been Hispanic or Asian, although they may have said, well, you know, have nothing, no idea what I'm, because you're black. You don't know what I've been through because you're black. Right. And <laughs> that might be true. But then again, you also didn't know what those black kids had go were going through. Because you grew up in a different lifestyle or a different family setting or family uh, 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 makeup, if you will. Yes, exactly. So now we need to set aside the whole race issue, the whole color issue, and say mm -hmm. we're talking about human beings here. Right. You know, uh, and, and so when we start talking about unlocking God's wisdom, when you started 
down this path of writing this book, what was it that that came to you and said, it's time to put this together? Were you were you sort of collecting these these passages and sharing them in sermons and so forth? Or was it just a, an aha moment? Was there a particular catalytic moment? Um, there was a scripture uh, in uh, Proverbs chapter nine, verse one, that caught my attention. Um, that passage talked about wisdom, how she had built her house and she had uh, hewn out these seven pillars. And I couldn't figure out what the seven pillars were. There was nothing within that chapter that talked about the seven pillars. And so I began rereading the, the book of Proverbs again from the beginning. I read it several times before uh, the Lord pointed out to me the seven pillars. And so I began to dig into the seven pillars to identify what they are and what they really mean. And as I'm just writing out something that was an interest to me when I was done, I had so many chapters. I, I, my thought was this has the potential to be a book. Mm. Um, and so with that now being my my focal point of completing the book, I think I ended up writing another maybe 13, 14 chapters to go along with it. And so <laughs> so when I was done, I had about I had about 36 chapters. And so. So I was like, I actually do have a book at this point. So that was never my original intent. Right. Um, and when I finished, I actually looked um, on the Internet, on Amazon and different, you know, uh, platforms to see if I found any other writings along this line. And I haven't been able to find much regarding it. And so I felt uh, it would be a good time to to release something um, that I felt was, you know, different and unique and could probably probably uh, open people's eyes to a whole new experience of reading through the book of Proverbs. Yeah. We're talking with uh, Darius Good. DariusGood.org is the website. Unlocking God's Wisdom. That is the book right here, folks. If you would like to get a copy of it, you can go to... (laughs) I'm still (laughs) learning how to use the camera and props, okay? (laughs) Uh, Covering up my face is not the smartest thing, but there you go. Uh, So that people can get an idea of the book. We'll we'll, uh, show that again here shortly. What I find interesting, uh, first of all, how long did it take you once you realized, oh, I've I've got a book here to create and finally get it uh, in my hands, finally get it in my hands? <laughs> I, I think when I became serious about really putting it together, it took me, um, I, I want to say about five months, maybe six months or so. And so I went through the editing process, um, which I went through about two or three times because I wanted to make sure I, I covered all the points that I wanted Mm-hmm. Um, it took time to write it because as I was learning uh, or, or writing the, the, the book, I'm learning as I'm going. And then I'm reworking some of the chapters because I'm like, I don't see it from that angle anymore. And so that took some time to put it together. Um, but once I got in the, the frame of mind, especially 2020, when things kind of slowed down, I was like, it's the, the perfect time to move forward with this project and take advantage of the time that I probably wouldn't have had if things hadn't worked out the way they did. You uh, you mentioned earlier uh, that you're you have a connection to music. Yes, music is, uh, and I remember the opportunity I had of interviewing my parents on this program. Though that program is not available for public for public consumption yet, because mm-hmm. my mother has told me no, you may not broadcast it. I'm hoping <laughs> that on their passing in twenty or thirty years, if they choose to live that long, they're in their late eighties <laughs> now. Uh, that maybe I'll be able to share that with uh, the general public. But be that as it may, they talked about how important 
music was in their lives and why it was important for them to incorporate that in our lives. Mm. Why for you, why, uh, why is music important to you and how is that manifested over the years in terms of maybe getting through to these young kids who are in other lifestyles that are really not serving them well at all mm. or society uh, for that matter. Well, I'll say this, uh, just to give a quick background as far as my, my music experience. Um, I was about five or six when my parents uh, decided to invest in me and have me start my music lessons. Uh, being pastors, they figured that uh, they would need help as far as musicians in the church. And so my sister and I were selected to be those musicians. Um, so it was about an 18-year investment that they had in place. And um, by the time I reached high school, I had this passion and love for music. I didn't know what music production was. I had learned to play the piano and drums and, and trumpet and many other instruments. And so I went into college with the, the goal of becoming a music producer. They had a uh, music program at the college, so I got a degree in music business. I also got one in communications. When I graduated, I went into the music industry and I worked there for, for about five years or so, uh, produced a song for Whitney Houston and quite a few other uh, 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 platinum recording artists. And that's what led to the opportunity of working in Bridgeport with these youth, uh, where they wanted to take a music program because music is a universal language. No matter where you go in the world, there's music. Um, I, I say music will never disappear, it'll never come to an end. Is it something that even if no, no money wasn't involved, those that love music are still going to write music and play instruments. And so uh, I came in with the thought of teaching them um, the studio part, the writing part, uh, portion of music, things of that nature, kind of sharing my business experience of being in the industry, of helping them realize that it's a business and not uh, once you go into the industry, it is a business, and not just the, the fun part or the entertainment part that we witness on this side of of um of experiencing and loving music mm -hmm. um so that was able to be a key to reach a lot of the kids and especially a lot of the experience that i had of working with a lot of artists that they knew but i've been in the studio with and rubbed shoulders with and so that was uh mind opening for them and it began to help them realize that life is not the small uh bubble that they had experienced many of them had never left their city ever they had never gone outside of the city and so our program took many of them um, outside of the city, down to New York, so they can experience things outside of just their neighborhood or just the city of Bridgeport. And I think that was key to helping them realize that there's so many options in life, um, things that they never had been exposed to, things that we probably, uh, people from our background probably take for granted. But these kids had never been exposed to that sort of thing. And um, it was quite rewarding because now here it is 10 years, 15 years later, they reach out to me and those experiences were life changing for them as their lives were going different directions. And so um, so music has been very key uh, with a lot of that. And we can touch people in many ways uh, through music and um, music will never it will never go away. Well, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it too much. I love it too much yes. myself. Uh, and you've touched upon the the core of uh, a book that I am still working on since 2001. Not a big book, and I don't know why it's taken so long. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's called Choices, but that's what we talk about on this program, giving people choices and knowledge of those choices and your description of what these kids haven't 
experienced is just that. The fact that they yeah. don't even know that these choices exist. Right. And right. what has been your uh, observational experience of these kids when they are uh, introduced to, I was going to say exposed, but I like introduced better, introduced yeah. to some of these new experiences and places and things and sounds? <laughs> Uh, it, it's, it actually is, is, is both rewarding and, and many times I, I felt sad um, that they weren't exposed to these things earlier. Uh, majority of our kids were, they were in high school. And so to experience New York City for the first time at that age, um, I wish they had experienced it much younger, but I was glad that w they were able to experience it. And so we would plan these trips, take them out of the city to different many places. Um, just so they can just see what the rest of the world looks like and the possibility of, of what life can offer them. And, um, and so that part was very rewarding, um, even to sit down and expose them to, to um, just the concept of owning houses. They had no idea what it meant to own cars. And they've, they've had these concepts in their head, you know, as many times youth have of what they think, how life works. And then they begin to realize it doesn't quite work that way. Um, and what they really needed was someone to take time with them, um, to sit and give them uh, information that would be beneficial. Uh, I think the thing that that really gripped me about that experience was um, the reason why many of them would choose a gang lifestyle. Um, and it's not it was never for the reason that I thought um, they weren't rambunctious kids. They weren't bad kids. Many of them ended up doing it um, for one for its protection. The city was uh, just to protect themselves. If you're connected to a group, um, then you wouldn't get jumped or you had somebody to lean on. A lot of them did it for family because they came from broken families. And so it became a sense of family for them. Um, but what I realized was uh, these are older men. Many of them that run the gangs were older men that were preying on young kids. And I think we don't view gang life as being um, predatory as they're going after eight-year-olds and nine-year-old kids. And that's how young they are when they're being pulled into these gangs. And these men are becoming big brothers to them, almost a father, the big homie, um, that's supposedly looking out for them, but they're pulling them into a lifestyle that is um, criminal in nature. And so uh, they end up suffering the consequence. But now you got somebody like me that's saying, there's a different life that can be offered to you. And you can live the same life without the criminal element and do it the legal way. And for, for many of them, they hadn't been fed that information because these people don't want them to know that. Right. They just want to take advantage of them. So. so at the same time, those men who are taking advantage are predatory yeah. in nature. They yes. were eight-year-olds once, too. Yes. And so this is a cycle that has been repeated generation after generation for, uh, what, 40, 50 years or so, something like that? Yes. Is that okay? Yes. Yeah. Are, have you ever been able to reach any of the adults through what you're doing, or is your focus primarily on the kids? Um, our focus was only on the children. Our program, uh, the kids came in either through probation or parole, and so they were already in the system. Um, so I had no contact with the, the gang leaders. Um, and actually, that was not even the focal point of our program. It okay. really was a pre-employment program, getting these kids prepared to go into the workforce. Mm -hmm. 
And then you realize that there was something else going on while they're spending time with me. And I'm realizing, what is this? I'm asking questions and they wouldn't answer the questions for me. But the more that I learned, then I was able to ask questions with intelligence. And then they began to open up to me. And um, and so they they didn't expose much of the interworkings, inner workings of, of gang life, more so because it's a it's a criminal enterprise. Right. You know what I mean? It's a criminal organization. And so they're not going to share too much with you. Um, but they saw early on that they really need to change the direction that they were headed. Um, we did ha- lose a few kids. Some, some of them died and um, some of them were arrested. Uh, but we were able to change a lot of them. And I found that it was really just our consistency of being there every day when our kids would come to the program day after day after day and began to realize you're somebody I can confide in. You're somebody I can be open with. And they, when they needed to cry, um, I wouldn't, uh, you know, throw dirt on them. I wouldn't shame them. I would just take time with them. So allow them to be open. And that allowed us to really connect and pull a lot of them out of those lifestyles. But pulling them out of the lifestyle is one thing. Pulling them out of the neighborhood where they might live, that's a bigger challenge. It is very much so. And many of them are coming from broken homes, maybe only a single parent. Yes. Or maybe in some instances there's no parent, but there is an older sibling who is taking care of them. we've, We've seen enough of those kinds of dramas unfold as well. Where, you know, they're occupying a house, but you've got a 16, 17, 18 year old brother or sister who is wanting them to, uh, you know, stay out of the criminal element. So how do you how do you handle that? Because it's been said that uh, unless, for example, a, a, a person coming out of prison, unless they stay away from the very elements that they were involved in that put them in the prison in the first place they're going to wind up right back in prison again in a very short time. Correct. Correct. Um, I found that the, the longer that they were in our program, the better off they were. Um, our program ran from three 30 to five 30. And that was, I believe the, cre- the the key element of time where these kids were preyed on. It's completely, you know, after school. Mm-hmm. And that's the time where the recruiting would begin um, they're home alone. They might be hanging out in the neighborhood and they've developed these relationships with the older guys. And so they're kind of pulled into the the sense of family for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're correct. I, I believe that the longer you hold on to them, the better they had a chance of saying that's not the lifestyle that I, I want to continue in versus there are other uh, options for me. There are better options for me. I can actually gain employment. I can get a job. Um, we did find that a lot of our kids did not have, they, they, they weren't well educated. And so reading for them was a major struggle. And that becomes one of the key problems uh, when you have a child that maybe can't read or possibly can't, can't add, then how do they gain employment? Mm-hmm. And so this becomes a major issue. And so we try to identify a lot of these weaknesses within our children and kind of strengthen those areas. And so, um, a lot of them just, you know, they, they go to school, but they weren't getting what they, they needed from school. And I think that's what people don't realize when you meet these kids that are like 17, 18. We label them problematic children. Well, there, there, there are other issues there, but they're not going to be able to just, hey, go get a job. Hey, stay out of trouble, because that's their only way now of putting food on their table. 
Um, when you talk to these kids, I had one child that he came in with burn marks and I asked him what's going on. And he's like, oh, we're using candles because they don't have lights on. And so these were, there were things that I think a lot of people wouldn't give thought to that a 13-year-old or 15-year-old child now becomes, this is their normal life. The things that they're exposed to of not having food to eat, not having lights on, not having clothes or, or shoes. Um, and so we would buy food for the kids and send food home knowing that they were feeding their siblings. Um, so their lives are drastically different than, than I think what a lot of people assume just to give them the advice of do better or stay out of trouble. Um, that advice doesn't work. And so we had to give them some real tools so that they had something to work with that they now could see that lifestyle is, is not going to work for me. I got to go a different direction with my life. You know, the way you describe all of this, my mind flashed back. My father was born in 1931, which means he was born okay. right at the front end of the Depression. Right. That's right. what it makes me think of. These people are living in... Uh, these children, not just people, these children are living in basically depression era conditions. They are, yes. In America yes. in the 21st yes. century. That's yes. got to blow your mind. Yes. Even with low in employment rates. And so, you know, we look at the employment rate of the, the, the nation and we say, oh, if the, the rate is low, then things are great. Not realizing there's a population of our nation and it, it, it's not race, as you mentioned, it's just a, a financial state where they don't have food. They might eat once or twice a day. Um, the pandemic really uh, exposed the fact that um, some of our kids were only eating at school. And so they began opening sites within our city that were feeding children where they could come in the morning and eat breakfast. They were getting to go meals. And so they would come and grab their meals and, and head back home. So that they were eating and being fed. And so it's a major problem um, that I believe is a nationwide issue that affects these these troubled areas within our cities. And um, a lot of people don't give too much thought to it if it's not a personal uh, conviction for them, a, a personal experience that they've gone through. And so I think having my eyes opened uh, to a lot of their personal lives in ways that teachers don't get to touch them. Many teachers don't know what's going on with their children other students. And yeah. so um, they pulled me right into their lives. And I talked to the parents and you realize the, the difficulties that they're going through. And um, you do as much as you can to help. And I'm like, if you can get these kids through 18 uh, into their 20s, they have a much better chance of being successful in life um, and not being dragged into that criminal element, um, the cr criminal activity that we, we often see or read about in the newspaper. You know, it almost sounds as though this is a, a hopeless a situation um, of sorts. I know you believe in hope. That's the reason why you have the programs that you do. So this do. is not hopeless from your perspective. But for some people listening, it's like, oh, my God, I, this is still going on. I mean, I remember hearing about this back in, you know, whatever decade it was in the 20th yes. century. Uh, and and um, I, I, I think about I, I can't help but bring this up. I think about the billions of dollars that are spent by this country for things that, uh, I don't know. I, I, and, and, and again, I, I'm not going to get political here, but I think about the billions spent on a wall. And immigration's an issue, I get that. But still, billions of dollars, and we have children who 
are go they don't have any other choice i mean this is one of the things i have heard well they've made all the wrong choices no they haven't made the wrong choices they don't have any other choices to make right right okay right. uh then there's this new uh, uh, space force and that's going to be billions if not trillions of dollars over the course of the next 10 years and that kind of stuff and then i mean and the list goes on and uh, uh there's a song that i i heard um and I wish I knew the Russian singer's name. What a beautiful voice he had or has. Uh, and he did a duet with John Denver and it was called, what are we making weapons for? We're mm. taking it out. We're taking the food out of the mouths of our babies. We're taking yes. it out of the mouths of the poor. What are we making weapons for? Yeah. And I know that there will be people who will say, well, you know, we've got these, these nefarious people in this place and that place and the other place. And I'm sitting here going, then we need to stop doing this because right. <laughs> wasn't it Einstein who said that the uh, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That's yes. why I loved when COVID came along. I didn't want people to die or get sick, but when they shut the country down, I'm going, hooray, they're doing something different, which means we're going to get a different result. We may not like it. Okay. But it's right. going to be different. It's yes. definitely going to be different. Unlike the influenza that rolls through every year. Oh, just take the shot. Or yeah, it'll right. be over in a few days. Just lay up in bed. Right. Or, yeah, keep going to school and it'll be all right. And then when I heard them wanting to send the kids back to school and it'll be no problem, I'm thinking, how do you think the flu gets spread from family to family? <laughs> the kids go to school with it. They spread it to the other kids who take it home. Right. And, and I thought, you're going to try to open up the schools? Which, again, I know the kids need education. And they need socialization and they need all of those things that they need. I get that. Yeah. But we have to come up with new ways of doing that. Right. Right. And that takes, if I may use the phrase, cliche here, that takes wisdom, Darius. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to us about um, your... Uh, your connection with your relationship with the wisdom, uh, the the wisdom of God, God's wisdom, as you talk about unlocking God's wisdom in this book. Um, I've found in my experience, obviously I'm a pastor, uh, but I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a, a pastor as well. And so God had always been the focal point of our house, of our home. Um, if you go to my church on both sides, my mom's side, my father's side, we have large number of our family members from both sides that attend the church. And so even outside of my own, uh, house, God was always a part of the equation. And as I got older and began to now end up on my own, um, I found that wisdom was critical in making right decisions. Um, I hate making bad decisions that I got to pay for. And so, and, and I, and I know that's a part of life and just the experiences that we got to go through. And this is how we learn. Um, but I'm quick to learn from my experiences and move forward. Um, I tell people all the time, most of my friends are a lot older than I am. They're at least 10 years, if not older that I spend time with. And I talk to, and I'm running my thoughts by my ideas by, because many of them have gone through things and made the mistakes and they're like, don't do that. I've already done that. And so that's been very critical uh, in my, my growing and my learning. Um, but godly wisdom is really the ability to hear God's voice 
And and it, it doesn't matter how it comes, whether you talked about that, that, that feeling on the inside that lets you know that something's wrong, don't make that decision, or that feeling that says it feels right in spite of what it looks like, trust it. Um, whether the Lord speaks through dreams, you have dreams that, that may come or um, even somebody out the blue that says something that catches your ear and you're like, why did you say that? And sometimes those are the right answers that come to you to lead you in the right direction. And so I've been, uh, I've, I've wanted to train my ear and be sensitive where I can always pick up when God is speaking to me um, so that I can make the right decisions and choices. And, and these are the things that I would talk to those kids about, um, about making right choices in life. And what did that feel like? Did you feel that like something was wrong, like something was about to happen? Then why did you still do it? Why did you make that choice? And these are the things you got to begin to recognize that can lead you in life and, and keep you out of trouble um, or even just just benefit your life and, and bring prosperity to you, um, whether it's the right job, the right dating situation, the right college. We have all these areas in our life that we need wisdom in, whether it's our, 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 um, our health, um, what things we should eat or not eat. Um, these things are critical for us and they're, they're important to our lives. Yeah. And so if we could just, like you said, slow down and just turn inward and, and find that guidance, then, then life ends up being so much better. Now, I would certainly encourage people to pick up a copy of your book, uh, Unlocking God's Wisdom. DariusGood.org is the website you can go to as well. It's Solomon's Seven Pillars of Wisdom. We hope that you will do that. Um, and so I would encourage people to do that. But I want to tie this into uh, a, a conversation a little bit more about um, the fact that you don't necessarily get wisdom from book learning, from education. And, mm. and I actually want to dive into the area of education. We need to redefine what that means, because when I talk about how I believe everyone deserves an education, I had a college professor say, no, not everybody deserves an education because some people are just stupid. And I thought, you've got to be from a college professor. I could not, I couldn't believe my ears. Well, mm. the reason why we need to change the definition of education, I think, and I'd like your input on this, is mm -hmm. because most people, when you speak of education, think of primary, secondary, and then post-secondary education, college, right. university. Right. Four years, yes. six years, eight years, medical school, et cetera, et cetera. When the reality is that not everybody has the, how can I put this, is not designed, shall we say, for mm -hmm. a formal post-secondary education. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they should go to a vocational school. They should find an apprenticeship Right. Uh, maybe they should open the fish market or maybe they should open the this or the that. Or maybe they're good. Uh, they're a great they they took auto mechanics in school in high school. I, I didn't. Uh, but they're really good with machines. Right. Like, you know, that. Kind of, so talk to us about your perceptions of the, the, the combination of wisdom and education in, in what we're talking about here today. Well, I, I agree with you that. Um. I think we've limited the, the concept of education to formal school. And I found that people are so complex 
that your area of quote unquote expertise may not be developed through um, traditional school. Um, there's things that a lot of people bring to the table that has nothing to do with college in and of itself that is critical to a business, um, is critical to um, a, a company and, and, and whether you're putting a product together or providing a service for somebody, um, they can bring elements to the table that has nothing to do with eight years of school. Um, and so I can speak from a personal experience where here I have a communications degree and I go to school and I learn television, film, radio, and uh, journalism, which is something I probably needed that, that, those, that equipment, um, that experience of being in the studio, which I can't get on my own or at home because I, don't, I can't own a TV studio. Um, but then on the side of music, I spent four years and I learned all this thing in regards to the music industry. And then I actually go into the mu music industry and I, I, I'm not exaggerating. In the first two weeks of being in the industry, I learned more than I had learned in the four years of being in college. Wow. And I began to realize that in music, your degree means nothing at all. Everything in music industry is about what have you done or what are you capable of doing? If I could promise you I can get this done and I could deliver, then you're going to cut me a check. And, um, and so I'm meeting kids that are in the industry and they're 15 years old making money because they've written these beautiful songs that somebody wrote a check and said, I want that song to be on my album. Well, they're not in school, they're not in college, and that yet they have a craft, they have this ability um, of taking a story and putting it into a poetic form and adding a melody to it. And now that song touching your heart and making you cry. I mean, that's that's that you can't teach that in college. Yeah. And so there are many there are many jobs and many careers that does not need the formal education, um, as many people say. Um, it's not a necessity. And I think, to be honest with you, I think it's created loans that <laughs> that people are paying back for no reason when um, you could have just gone right into the industry or gone into the trade and just mastered that craft. And and it's gone on from there. And so I pulled back. And to be honest with you, I think the era or time that we're in now, I remember back when um, if you got your degree online, people kind of looked down on you. Like there was the expectation that you got to go to the school, you got to live on campus, you, you know, that's what college is. And then people began getting their degrees online. And of course, here it is 2020. That's normal now. Yeah. And so I find that people are moving away from the traditional ways or, or concept of what they feel education should be. And we're going into these other areas now where I'm, I'm like, you know, you can be quite successful in life without going that direction. Now, speaking of radio and television, you have several projects, I call them projects, programs, uh, shows uh, that you are producing on a regular basis. Uh, you do yes. your own radio show and yes. you have your own television program. And you I, I, I'm guessing that uh, there's a combination there of uh, maybe doing you're also uh, turning those into podcasts for the Internet as well and so on and so on. So you have taken whether it was the four de four year degree or not and the experience <laughs> in the industry but you've turned that into something that allows you now to get out the various messages that you have been given to share yes what's that like yes. for you uh, you know in terms of i mean it's one thing to stand up in front of a stand up in a pulpit 
with, I don't know, 50, 100, 200 people. I, I don't know how large your church is or, or how large some of the church. I know because some of them can be to the thousands. Uh, stadiums. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's great. You touch that many people. But my goodness, the Internet, billions can yes. see yes. and hear what you're talking about. Tell, yeah. us, tell us about that. It's, it's funny. I, I didn't purposely get into radio. My dad was a re- radio DJ. Uh, when he graduated from Bible college, there was a pastor out in Oregon uh, that wanted somebody with a nice texture of voice. Mm-hmm. And uh, the college recommended my dad. So he calls him up, asks him if he's willing to move to Oregon. And he flies out to Oregon and stayed there for several years. He married my mom and then she moved out there to work with to Oregon with him. And he began the radio, learning radio in Oregon because that pastor owned a radio station. And then he comes back to New Haven in uh, Connecticut. And now he's on the radio and did his program up until he passed in 2006. And so about the end of 2005, I began taking his radio shows. He would produce them here at the church and I'll take them over to the radio station. And when I dropped them off, they began asking me, why don't you do a show? And I just thought it was odd that they would ask me, why don't you put a radio show together? Because you don't know me. You don't know what I'm capable of. It takes some some talent and ability to put a radio show together. It does. So after about the third, fourth time they've asked me, I mentioned it to my dad. And he said, you know what? Take my show. It's an hour long. Do what you want. So I would produce his show for 30 minutes. And then I would take the last 30 minutes and do a music, a music show because I was creating music and I just wanted to use that platform. And um, and so that led to a smooth transition. Once my dad passed, I just maintained his show and um, and just maintained my relationship with the radio station. And then from there, I went into putting the podcast together um, because that was a complete different platform. As you know, radio, you can only catch it when it's on podcast. You could tune in at your leisure mm-hmm. and listen whenever you choose to. And so um, to now be on I- iTunes and iHeartRadio and Spotify and these other platforms, um, it builds a, uh, builds another uh, platform, another audience that you can reach. Yeah. Um, the TV show I haven't been able to develop as I chose, but you go to YouTube now and people are shooting videos on their iPhones. Yeah. And so so much is is changing, and so I just make sure that I'm changing with the times, being aware of what's current, and uh, using all these platforms to share the message that I feel in my heart. Um, that I feel is can help people and and open doors and unlock things for people that are, are struggling in certain areas. And what about your immediate family, wife and, and, and kids in terms of them either a following in your footsteps and or your your father's footsteps or getting into the entertainment industry or television, radio podcasts, or have they found their own niche, if you will, uh, as far as realizing what their aptitudes were, because you weren't born a pastor, but <laughs> I would tend to uh, think you might agree with this statement that you were born to be a pastor uh, and, and now, and then some. Right. <laughs> uh, it's funny as a youth, I never wanted to be a pastor. Um, I would see the the requirement of my mom and dad, how, it's such a selfless life um, where people will call anytime and they just put things down and, and run to be there with individuals. And so I understood the requirements and the the, uh, um, the character necessary to be a good pastor. Um, I had this love and passion for music. So that was really my, my goal. And um, 
But I think when I began working with the youth in Bridgeport, it opened my eyes to understand what pastoring really was and that there's a population of people, whether young or old, that are in need of help. And I wanted to be that help to them. Um, and so that I think that job of 12 years of working there really opened my heart and mind uh, to working with people um, of ev- all different backgrounds. It doesn't matter where they come from, mm-hmm. uh, but just being a help and a, a source of strength for them. Um, as far as my children, um, they love music. They don't play any instruments. My daughter dances. Uh, my son is creating videos and he posts them on YouTube. Um, so he's having fun. They're just having fun with it. My daughter actually will take videos and edit them. And so I'm seeing that skill and ability and she'll bring them to me and ask me my opinion on them. And so you can kind of see uh, somewhat of a, an element there. Mm-hmm. But my daughter, um, she got into creating inventions and uh, her school has this program where they had the kids come together and she actually got accepted or had her invention um, sent to this national um, invention convention. It was held out in Dearborn, Michigan. Uh-huh. And so last year, my daughter and I flew out to Michigan she, there were 501, I believe, um, participants in the program out of 100,000 um, inventions that were submitted. And she was one of, I admit, I'm, I'm sorry, it was about 800 kids total that were part of this uh, convention. Wow. And so, I mean, the numbers were amazing that her idea was selected out of that many um, that had submitted their ideas. And so um, that thing has opened up a, a thing for her where she's like, loving ideas, the concept of entrepreneurship. Um, and she's only 13 years old, but that's where she's like leaning that direction now of, I want to own my own businesses. Um, I would love to create products that can help people and, and things of that nature. So that's where her heart and mind is at this point. That's, that's incredible. It really is. There was a public service announcement many years ago that I saw that really epitomized um, the direction that individuals should go. And the first two scenes, the first, and they were a bit on the stereotype uh, aspect, of a little sexist. Uh, there was a boy okay. playing in the dirt <laughs> with his buddies with their Tonka trucks, you know, big dump trucks and those kinds of things, right? Uh, and then it cuts to uh, a scene of an adult male who is working on a construction site, building okay. a building. And then the next scene is of a little girl and she's playing with her dolls and she's got some medical equipment, you know, a little stethoscope and a tongue depressor and that kind of thing. And then the next scene is an adult woman in the ER assisting uh, patients. Hmm. And what that said to me was that an individual needs to tap into sort of going full circle with what we started with their childhood play that they loved doing. I mean, I love playing and I loved playing in the dirt as a kid. Well, now I'm doing that up where we live here on Santa Barbara. But I also played with a lot of audio equipment, a radio and my dad had turntable and a reel to reel and things like this. And we used to play around with that uh, and so on and so forth. Mm. And I never really thought about it until eighth grade when I was told, okay, you got to write the, what I want to be when I grow up report. And I went and I interviewed a guy who was in (laughs) broadcasting and forgot all about it through high school. And then when I went to junior college, I, I went in, I went in to, I went in this doorway that I was told was available. And the next thing I know, 40, 40 years later, plus here you and I are talking. Yes. And so 
I think that that's really a, a great lesson for your kids. They're starting out very young. You say your daughter's 13? Yes, and my son is 11. It, that's and then I then I have a one year old. <laughs> oh my goodness! And hadn't started unless you've given the the one year old a tablet and they're already playing video games. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see you can see where this is going. Yes. You, oh yes. You can yes. see how what is interesting to them is going to be interesting to them for years to come. What a yes. what an incredible legacy you've given them. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome yes. and then my my wife actually owns uh she has a, a shop where she braids hair for youth 13 uh -huh. and under and then she's a personal trainer as well and so we actually just started a youth program where we're working with uh ages uh six to 13 and it's a fitness program 30 minutes a day they come in and work out with her and and just have a blast you know and um and so there's the kids are being exposed to business and entrepreneurship and just the understanding that if you have a love and passion for something, you may be able to turn it into a business or a service. Right. And, um, but the difference is they're being exposed to it. They're not being told oh, you're going to go over to your, your mom's place and you're going to do this, that, and the other thing, or, you know, Correct. they're, they're allowed the freedom because obviously they're still in school and they need to spend time in that level of formal education. Right. I, you know, um, and I have to say that, uh, you know, my uh, formative years as I was growing up were were really cool because um, we got to play outside a lot. Uh, the street that we lived on in Phoenix, there were no fenced yards except maybe mm -hmm. one. So we were able to play kickball almost literally <laughs> up and down the block because at the right. each end of the of the street was a T section. So you right. always knew when a car was coming because they'd have to slow down to make the turn. Okay, car's coming. Everybody get out of the street. Let the car go right. by and back to the play. And green grass as far as the eye could see up and down the streets. And we had a great time playing outside, which I think is a, a big plus to our health. Uh, mm. Do your kids get outside enough? <laughs> I mean, I realize it's kind of hard, but do they do they enjoy being outdoors in nature and so forth? Um, they do get outside. They go outside and ride their bikes, and um, we're we're pretty busy. Okay. And so uh, my my son's involved with swimming and different things, and my daughter's dancing. Um, we're we're busy with the church, um, yeah. and then things during the week as well. So. So they're exposed to a lot of things, but um, what you're describing reminds me of my childhood, um, just hanging out in the neighborhood, and we had different houses with basketball hoops, or yeah, you know, we played you know hockey in the street, or or, or kickball, or or soccer, or football, and uh, and that's how I grew up. And so um, uh, I, I I really wish kids would go back to that that time and era, yeah. um, and which is one reason why we put the fitness group together because. A lot of the kids are not going out and, and joining sports and being active, um, especially with the pandemic as schools not providing gym and things of that nature. Right. Um, we wanted to provide something to keep their heart rates up and be active. And, and I think it's not only critical for the fitness part, but also for building friendships and relationships. Yeah. And so I'm um, just being able to connect with people. Is there anything in this hour plus that we have talked? Hard to believe it's been an hour. Uh, that we haven't touched upon that you feel uh, an urgency to share with our listeners. Is there is there something that we have uh, have not mentioned? 
Um, I don't say we haven't mentioned. I just wanted to just reiterate one of the points that you made of just being able to listen to each other um, and not being so prideful. The desire to be heard, <laughs> the <laughs> desire to be right. <laughs> and I've learned with the concept of wisdom, it's not about being right. It's about making the right choice. Mm hmm. And that's that that's not one in the same. And so sometimes I got to put being right aside so that I can make the right choice. Yeah. And uh, and being able to focus on what really is the the point that we're trying to get to or the goal may not be what you think. And so I, I deal with that in, in a portion of the book, how the goal many times becomes more fine tuned as you keep moving forward and you're listening to others. And now I'm listening to this side and I'm listening to that side and it keeps fine tuning the point where I started with one goal in mind and I ended up somewhere else completely realizing that what I thought was the goal really was not the goal at all. And so um, in relationships, that's what we learn. Sometimes the goal is to love is not to be right. And you kind of figure that along the way and say, you know what? It doesn't even matter. You ever seen some of those stereotypical uh, television programs and some of them are comedies where the parent, the, the, the uh, uh, couple married couple, um, one of them is always trying to get one up on the other. All yes. right. And I'm going, wait a minute. This isn't a, a relationship. Isn't a competition, especially a marriage. It's not a competition. It's a team. And right. I have to tell right. you that I have, to, there are times when I want to make a certain decision and I have to go back. Now, is that, is that team play with your wife? Uh, no, that is not team play. That is not, that's not how you do it. And I, I was making some purchases, very small purchases, you know, 15, 20, $30 here and there. They add up uh, for different things to, to accent our home, uh, our travel trailer, and so forth. And she was a little upset about the fact that I was doing that without consulting her because she wanted to be a part of the, the decision making. Yes. Yes. Uh, and so I said, okay, I understand, but I was trying to surprise you. That was, that was my, that was, and that was what I was trying to do. I was wanting to surprise her, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so I think in the future, um, I'm not sure exactly how I'll handle it, but I won't just go off and, and buy stuff like that. Little things here and there, just say, Hey, here's surprise because, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's a team. There is right. also one right. other thing I would like for you to touch on in in terms of setting aside our wanting to be right. There's a phrase or a, a quote I heard some time ago, and I really love it. Darius, you and I can both be right. Uh, you and I cannot both be right, but we can both be wrong. <laughs> That's an interesting concept. So you said uh, we we can both not be not, right, not be right, mm -hmm. but we both could both be wrong. Could be wrong, right, right. Uh, it's interesting with pastoring. Many times, as I've dealt with disputes, um, whether it's a husband and wife or just um, two people having you know their issues, we'll bring them together, and sometimes that would most definitely be the case, uh, where neither one of them are correct they're actually both wrong yeah and being like you said being able to identify that it's not a per about the purchase it's not about whatever the 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 small issue is that we're po pointing to sometimes there's a much bigger picture at play um 
I've also found that many times that we talked about earlier, sometimes our, our history, our growing up, our experiences, things like that has affected why certain decisions might bother me or why I handle things a certain way and realizing that it's not right or wrong. Maybe you got to realize that these are issues that need to be adjusted or corrected. Mm -hmm. um, so dealing with people has been a very interesting experience. And I think working with the kids for me really taught me that patience because I have more, more patience with children than I would with adults. <laughs> and so <laughs> after 12 years, I've learned to have that same sort of patience with the adults yeah. and realize, you know, that we're all at different points and places in life. And it's taken a moment to recognize that. And it's OK to be wrong, um, as a lot of people really struggle with that. It's funny, my daughter, when she was little, I would talk to her and when she would mess up, I, I would say to her, just say I messed up, that I, I was wrong. And she would struggle. She wouldn't want to say it. And uh, and I'm like, it's OK to be wrong. The problem is, is to remain wrong, realizing that you're wrong and keep pushing your issue. And so now that she's older, she's learned to just say, admit her faults and say, hey, you know what? I was wrong and I made a mistake and and being able to, to do that. And um, and so that's a lesson that many of adults haven't captured yet. The importance of of asking forgiveness and saying I was wrong, um, and especially even when you're right. Sometimes you realize that it wasn't about having the right answer is that it's about, you know, meeting what's necessary. And so in your case with your wife, you're saying, hey, she wants to be a part of the, the idea. She wants to be a part of the concept. She wants to be included. Mm -hmm. That's what's most important than anything else um, to keep the harmony in your house. Yeah. And everyone is wired different. Every home is going to be wired different and, and understanding. And that's to me the beauty of, of relationships, of understanding the uniqueness of one relationship versus another and what brings that harmony to one relationship versus another um, and being OK with it. I tell people all the time, be flexible in life. Just be flexible. Yeah. Um, and that's how me and my wife live our lives. You know, we're flexible with each other. And, you know, we, we push, you give and I give you push and we pull you, you know, mm -hmm. having that flexibility of point off each other makes makes life beautiful. Exactly. DariusGood.org is the website. Darius Good's my guest. He's the author of his latest release. And that is Unlocking godly wisdom solomon's seven pillars of wisdom I encourage you to pick up a copy regardless of what uh, whatever your faith uh, uh, perspective is because uh, the bottom line is darius i do not believe in coincidences i do believe in coincidences okay. events <laughs> that coincide yes. and we all will come across people whether it be me on this program with someone such as yourself who I've never met before, but I need to put down the shields. I need to make myself more vulnerable and really listen. And I have to say that what I've heard today is number one, that you have given probably a similar wonderful gift to your children that my parents gave to me and my brother and sisters the freedom to explore life mm. and what that life contains or and what it can and what it can contain and mm. the diversity of choices that can be made i mean you you say that your daughter is in dance but yes. you but there are so many different kinds of dance and i'm not asking you to elaborate exactly. i'm just saying right right and she could go in so many different directions and your son he's he's uh, doing podcasts he's videoing and so forth and 
you yes. know, and so many different directions that he could go that way as well. And who knows, maybe in 10 years, he'll be off on something else. But that video experience is still going to play. There are no there, there. I used to think when I changed jobs and it wasn't in radio because I've worked in a warehouse and I worked for a multi-level marketing company. Um, mm. well, I'm wasting my time here, you know, and then I began to realize that even though multi-level marketing in and of itself wasn't teaching me anything that really related to radio, there were relationships. There was an issue right. of compassion right. and understanding. There was li the, the listening that you're talking about. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, so th we, if, if you go off on a direction that you think is divergent, don't worry about it because there's mm -hmm. going to be something down that road that you're going to be able to bring back to whatever it is that you really, really want to do. And right. it sounds to me like you right. have, uh, you know, uh, uh, a wonderful life that you're living, uh, being a pastor and a musician and, and, and again, all of the broadcasting that you're doing as well. And we thank you so much for sharing that with us, as well as your book, Unlocking Godly Wisdom. And uh, we hope that uh, we can touch base with you uh, as as you progress over the years, as we get out of this whole thing and we see what blossoms from the winter of 2020 and i don't mean the 2020 yes. the winter period i mean the entire year can be viewed right, right. as sort of a winter where mm. we're we're slowing down and we're taking stock and we're getting prepared for when spring arrives we hope in 2021 uh it'll come when it comes and that we need to be have that patience that you talked about with with adults that you <laughs> talked about but thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me i appreciate it i have three final questions that i love asking each one of my guests you may have addressed them uh, as we have talked here on the program but i also like to ask them pointedly before i do okay. i want to let our listeners know that you can hear this program on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. Streaming live at richarddugan.com. Podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM. You'll also hear uh, Darius podcasts as well uh, on those various platforms. I'm sure they just type in uh, either uh, Darius Good and uh, it'll take them to your podcast. Is that right? Yeah, they can do that. Uh, absolutely. We also want you to participate in uh, the year of perfect vision as well as the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, and spend that time within. As Darius has told us, it's, it, you're going to unlock treasures that you never even knew existed for yourself. And so we encourage you to do that. And if you'd like to support the work that we are doing here on this program, we do have PayPal and Patreon accounts for your security as well as ours. So if you can support us financially, we thank you, thank you, thank you. I thank those who have and those who will. Uh, we'll take energetic support as well. The three questions that I have for you are, number one, who is Darius Good? Um, I would describe myself as uh, very honest, um, very loving, very compassionate, um, and I'm also uh, surprisingly aggressive. <laughs> you got to be a go-getter. You got to let nothing hold you back or stop you. Um, but I'll never do that at a, a, a at the expense of somebody else. Um, if it's, there's going to be some hurt involved or some harm, I make sure that's on my end. I'll suffer the consequence of it um, and I'll find a way to accomplish the goal without anyone being hurt or being affected or being, you know, mishandled or, or manipulated. 
And so, um, second question, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Hmm. Um, I would hope that I would be the spark in people's lives. Um, as they encounter me, that it's not just a, as you mentioned, coincidence. Um, I don't believe in coincidences either. I believe everything is by purpose, by design. If you're willing to take a moment and look to see what's really transpiring or going on. And so uh, I, I've always wanted my life to be a spark as people encounter me. Maybe a change of direction if you're not heading in the right direction. Maybe it could boost or of acceleration if you are heading in the right direction. And you're gleaming something from my life um, that could be beneficial to you down the road. And vice versa. I feel like I'm always learning something from every encounter that I have with people. I'm learning and adding to my life and my awareness as I'm moving forward. Finally, what is your life's purpose? I believe my, my life purpose is to, to teach um, as a pastor, uh, to teach the gospel. And, and when people don't realize that the word gospel means good news. Mm-hmm. And so we're bringing good news to people. We're bringing uh, uh, the life that God purposed for them. And many people struggle trying to find what their purpose is. And I feel like uh, that answer is held in God's word, is held in his news. And so as we encounter God and we encounter the Lord, um, then he begins to reveal to us purpose and understanding and love and, and all these par- aspects of life that makes life fulfilling. Many people are searching. There's so many gaps or spaces and voids in their life. Um, They're searching to be loved. They have all these crutches that they're relying on drugs and different things just to make it through. But I'm like, you know what? There's a life that you can have of peace and love and joy. And I I believe I can help. That's part of my purpose in life of helping you discover what that is. Well, Darius Good, I thank you so much. I I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. This has just been wonderful. And Thank I hope so one day that maybe uh, one of us will uh, fly one direction or the other and we can meet face to face and and do this program, maybe do another program. Uh, uh, you know, I've even invited people, hey, let's take a couple of chairs. Uh, I'll take my digital recorder, some microphones out to the beach and right there yeah. on the sand. We'll have ourselves one heck of a good time talking about nice. the things that are important <laughs> in our lives. And I thank you again for sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.